right, we are going through Luke. I heard it said, kind of the gospel writers, the New Testament writers, they're kind of like jewelers. They kind of just hold up that diamond of Christ and put us in awe of that. That's my hope this morning for you, particularly in these passages. We just get these wonderful pictures and windows into Jesus. And I want to look up this morning and marvel at that diamond. Something I heard about diamonds from a preacher once, that if you, as you turn it, kind of each angle of that diamond kind of reveals something different about the radiance and the brilliance and the beauty of that diamond. Because there's a couple aspects in particular that jump out at me. You know, we study, and I want to look at Christ, but also about halfway through, I want to turn that diamond because I think Jesus is a wonderful synthesis of a lot of amazing characteristics, and I want to look at two in particular. As they jump out of this passage, that was probably the hardest part of preparing for this message because it kind of takes a hard turn in the middle. We kind of see these two elements. And I was talking about it with Gary, our worship leader, and he showed me a Martin Luther King Jr. book called Strength to Love. And the first chapter I opened up was Tough-Minded, Tender-Hearted. It was perfect for me. It was like a gift from the Lord. It was the first time I ever had a title of a message before I wrote the message because that's kind of exactly kind of the two elements we see of Christ. He's tough-minded and tender-hearted. So I was so grateful for that gift from the Lord. One, because I had my outline. Two, I mean, it was MLK. How cool is that? And three, it already alliterated. Like, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Tough-minded, tender-hearted. Kind of here we go. I want to look at that together as we dive into this passage. So we're in Luke 13. Tells us that at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. As you read God's word, there are no wasted words. God is intentional of everything he puts in there, even right out of the gate. I want you to notice that at that very hour. What's Luke doing there? He's tying it back to the context of last week. So as we read this, we've got to kind of read it in the context of what he was teaching last week. If you were here, it was the famous narrow door of Christ. It is how are we saved? How many are saved was the question. And Jesus talked about, I am that narrow door. And we got into salvation, heaven and hell. So that's the context of this. Don't forget that when we're talking about salvation and hell as this scene appears. That's why he put that. He wants us to connect those things. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him. Now the Pharisees warned him, hey, Herod wants to kill you. You should get out of here. It's a little bit weird if you think about it. Kind of all through the story, the Pharisees, they're the bad guys. They're kind of the antagonists in the story. Now what's happened? Now all of a sudden they have Jesus' best interest in mind. Hey, buddy, be careful. Herod wants to get you. That doesn't fit with the story. So some of, and I think there are clues in that, particularly Jesus says, go tell Herod, go tell that fox. Jesus connects them to Herod, so they're more likely Herod's puppets than looking out for Jesus. And part of the reason I bring that up, because I think this is how so many people want to interact with Christ. Like they don't want to reject him, but they want him out of their life. 
How many times have you heard people say that? I got nothing against Jesus. That's fine for you, but you know, I, I'm going to do my life. And that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing here. They want to get Jesus out of their town, but they're not outright rejecting him. They're going to hide behind other things. You ever done that in your life or heard people do that? Oh, I got no problem with Jesus, but I just don't want him in my life. That's what these Pharisees are doing. You better get out of here because of Herod, and we hide behind all these things. But I want to bring you back to Christ and paint this picture. I mean, I want the diamond of Christ to shine. Because again, we just read that, oh, that's a neat story. This is Jesus teaching, and in the midst of his teaching gets a death threat. This isn't like an empty death threat, like when a guy misses a field goal, like laces out Marino kind of death threat. This is like a legitimate death threat. They will kill him. Herod and the Roman governments are going to kill him. I mean, I want you to think about that. You showed up this morning, and I was like, hey, we just got word. Somebody's coming to kill you. You better get out of here. Every one of us is like, good looking out. I'm gone. You know, like, that, that's exactly what happened. Jesus is teaching, and the guy's like, you better get out of here. Herod's trying to kill you. And I want you to look at Jesus. What is his response? He is staring down the barrel of death from the greatest authority. Like, we can't even relate to when it says Herod. Like, we don't have threats like this. This is a legitimate threat from a tyrant that is going to kill him. And he says, you go tell that fox that I'm going to do me and he can catch me in Jerusalem in a couple of days. I mean, that is gutsy. I mean, that is Jesus. I mean, many of you know I'm working on my own translation, and so as I would write it, you go tell him, I ain't scared. Like, I ain't scared. Like, I'm right here. I'm gonna do me. You can come tell him where I'm at. Like, and death is imminent. I mean, you see that? The tough-mindedness of Christ. Nobody had more ice in his veins than Jesus. This is full-on like mamba mentality, like I am right here. I'm not going anywhere. You can go tell that fox that. I mean, that is gutsy. I mean, do you really, that's a part of, I think, why a lot of, I mean, this is just, you know, proportionally, statistically, men don't come to church as much as women, at least in our country. And a part of that is we don't have a fullness of the masculinity of Christ. We always just want to, you know, he's just the guy that paints sheep, you know, he pets sheep, and he's this nice guy. Nobody, I'm telling you, ever that walked this earth was tougher than Christ. Nobody. I mean, he's staring down the barrel, and he trash talks the tyrant who's on the throne. You go tell that fox, I'm right here. It's like, get up from that table, and Jesus is like, I'm going to finish my breakfast, and I'm going to get up when I'm good and ready. Like, how tough is that? The resolve of Christ. I love it. You have that picture of the tough-minded Christ. Nobody had more spine than Christ. I mean, it's almost like toughness is just a decision. It's a choice that you make, and Jesus made it every single time. How did he do that? How in the midst of death looking down on him does he have peace? And you could see it. Listen to his response. I'm gonna fit, I must go. It cannot be. And he talks about it. I will finish my course. Listen. He had a divine, a divine necessity about his life. In the midst of all the threats coming at him, Jesus, more than any that walked this world, knew God was sovereign, God was in control, and he would not go to fear by any threat that came his way. 
He knew that there was a divine destiny upon his life, the sovereignty of God. Do you feel that resolve? I mean, some of that, I want to marvel at Christ, but I want to call us into that. Like, do you have that tough-mindedness in your walk with Christ, in your ministry that he's called to you? I mean, do you have that unflinching resolve that Jesus had? And I want to look at, well, we see how Jesus did that. He knew God was sovereign and in control, so he didn't go to fear. But I want to look at what makes us, when we're called to be tough-minded, what makes us weak-minded? What makes us, as MLK would call, soft-minded? All of us, when we have threats coming at us, when difficult things come at us, we're prone to soft-minded thinking that allows us to be distracted from what God has for us, that allows us to fall back in fear. And I want to look at, particularly in this passage, some ways that we fall into soft-mindedness. But first, I want to give you a warning from that book. This is from MLK. The shape of the world today does not permit us the luxury of soft-mindedness. A nation that continues to produce soft-minded men and women purchases, purchases its own spiritual death on an installment plan. Now you could take that to the nation and you could take that to your life. So many of you are on the road to spiritual death and you've already made a couple payments by some of our soft-minded thinking when God calls us to be resolved to the mission at hand. How do we do that? How are we soft-minded? I want to look at a couple things and bring it out from the passage. So when things get tough, we cling to false promises. And I think this leads us to weak-mindedness, to soft-minded. Now, difficulties coming at Jesus. There's a threat to Jesus and his life. What did he cling to? It wasn't that everything was going to get better. I mean, did you notice that? These aren't literal days. Remember he said today, tomorrow, and then the day after. He wasn't talking about literal three days. He was talking about like, hey, in a short time, I know I'm gonna die. Like Jesus knew without a shadow of a doubt that he wasn't, wasn't gonna overcome this threat. That this threat was real and that he was going to die. Remember he said that? A prophet isn't gonna die outside of Jerusalem. So he didn't cling to what we do we always cling to the false promises. So what is our great hope that leads us to be weak-minded? I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to get better. I swear it's going to get easier. Our great hope is always that this is going to get easier, that it's going to get better. My comfort's going to return. I'm sure, you know, I'm going to beat this sickness. I'm going to get more money. That's always our hope that we cling to. But that's not the case. And how often have you done that? Have you offered that kind of that false hope to people? And I'm not making you feel guilty. We all do it. You find out someone's going to the hospital. What do you tell them? Oh, I'm sure it's not going to be it. You know, I'm sure you're not going to be sick. I'm sure the cancer is going to go away. I mean, show of hands. Raise your hand if you've ever known somebody that has died of something. What? Like, right? But what do we do? We just want to... We make him feel better, like I'm sure you're going to beat it. We're all going to die. Like every man dies, not every man really lives. Braveheart, you seen Braveheart? It's a great movie. <laughs> right? Like Jesus knew that. Look, death is coming, but I'm still going to live my life. But what is our great hope? That the pain will go away. Like we have one great prayer. You know that button in the hospital bed that gives you more medicine? Like that is our one great prayer, right? Always, God, take this away. 
Make me feel better. Let me get over this. Let me get more money. And we just hit that prayer over and over. That's our one great prayer. God, take away this pain. Numb this pain. You can't just numb pain. It will numb your wits and you need them all. That's two Braveheart quotes in one bullet point. You're welcome. You know what I'm saying? That was the same bullet point. You don't have to clap. It's not that big of a deal. But, but isn't that us? Isn't that what you pursue? Isn't that the hope that you cling to that I'm going to get better? I'm going to beat this. At some point, you're going to die and you're not going to. So you want to be tough-minded like Christ? Don't cling to false promises. You know the great thing that Jesus clung to? It wasn't that God was going to empty his life of pain. It was that he was going to fill it with purpose. Like that's the road you need to be on. If you want to be resolved like Christ, don't think, okay, I'm going to be, that my hope is that pain will cease. It's that purpose won't. Like that's the promise that Jesus clung to. And that's where I think he got that steely-eyed resolve. But don't us, now you can pray. It tells us to pray for the sick. I hope you get better. I hope pain ceases. But that isn't your great hope. Your great hope is that Jesus, like he said, you, God will use your life. God will give you purpose. That's what you need. The presence of purpose, not just the absence of pain. And when just getting better and life getting easier is your hope, you're going to be weak-minded. You're going to get off track. You're going to sit on the sidelines. There's another thing, I think, in particular, that we're guilty of. Secondly, we fear false powers. We fear false powers. We cling to false promises that, okay, I know I'm going to get better. Life's going to get easier. But then another part, again, he's trying to be drawn to fear. They're trying to distract Jesus by what? By using the name of Herod. Herod was a tyrant. He was the Roman ruler. To them, he represented ultimate power and authority. Jesus didn't believe that for a second. Jesus knew that Herod's power, although in this world he had some, it was just perceived. That God ultimately was in control of his life. And he says, you go tell that fox. He didn't fear that false power. And here's where you get that in the text. So for us, when we see fox, what do we always think? We think, okay, cunning, deceptive. But that kind of wasn't the initial meaning if you look and study it biblically. So when Jesus called him a fox, I think it was more prone to talking about his insignificance. Like he said, you go tell that power, he's not as powerful as he thinks. He's actually insignificant. He's a fox. I, mean, almost for, I almost forgot a fox was even a predator until watching Zootopia again. For those of you who have kids, right? You know, like, I don't even, you're, you're not even one of the big cats. You're just a fox. You're, in, you're, you're not as big a deal as you think you are. There are things in your life right now that you are falling victim to. There are people. There's someone. There's something. Tell me there are people sitting here right now. There's something that's leading you to fear. There's someone that is leading you to fear and, be, and it is distracting you from the ministry God has you has for you. I mean, tell me you don't have a Herod in your life. A Herod that's trying to distract you and bring you fear. Is it a person? Is it a job? Is it an addiction that you're giving this so much power that it controls you, that you're cowering in fear? Some of you coming out of this need to call out the Herods in your life and put them in proper perspective. 
Like, I want people in here coming out of this. You need to look at that diagnosis. You need to look at that disease and say, yes, you're annoying, you're destructive, but you're a fox. You don't control me. Cancer doesn't decide when you die. Jesus decides when you die, okay? Like, that's important for you to know because you think that addiction, that whatever it is for you, controls you. And it leads us to be soft-minded. I become a victim to this because, oh, Herod's after me. What is the Herod in your life that's causing you to fear? I want you to come out of this and tell that Herod, you're a fox. You don't control me, Jesus does. And that's how Jesus was tough-minded. And this is what leads us, I think, to be weak-minded, to get off the ministry that God has for us. We cling to false promises, we fear false powers, and Jesus, in the midst of that, says, I'm going to finish my course. God has mapped out. To me, it's like that picture of a marathon. It's that tape, right? Jesus knew nobody can stop him from the ministry God had on him. He had a destiny to get to that finish line. Nobody can take you off of God's will. And I don't know who along the way told you a marathon was going to be easy and that there would be no pain. It's going to be hard. There will be pain. But God's goal for you isn't just pain management. Like, when does pain management come into play? At the end. Like, when we're dying. And God is looking at you like, you're not dying right now. We're not into just pain management. You have a purpose in your life. And some of us, that's all we want from God. You know, please just take this away. Like a soldier on the field that got like, his knee scraped. Like, hit me with the morphine, doc! He's like, you're not dead. It's not morphine time. It's get back to what God has for you. And nobody, I love what you're just saying, is like a lion. Nobody is tougher than Jesus. Nobody has more spine. But the beauty of who Jesus is, is he's not this tough, cold, iron-fisted God. Nobody was more tough-minded, and nobody was more tender-hearted. And I want to look at the heart of Christ. This next passage, it's one of my favorites. We're just going to watch Jesus in the middle of it. It's almost like, you know, it's spontaneous. He just kind of erupts and just spews his heart out. And I want you to see the tenderness of the heart of Christ. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, so bold. Again, remember the context. I'm about heaven and hell. He doesn't give an inch on truth. He doesn't give an inch on his ministry, and then he gives all of his heart perfectly and tenderly. I mean, do you hear that in the passage? I mean, do you hear just his heart breaking? We got to combine these two. Don't you ever share hard truth with people with a hard heart. As you're talking about hell, and some of you come out of that, I kind of joked about it. Some of you are excited, like, yeah, I'm fine talking about hell. If you're excited that we talked about hell, something's wrong. Like, nobody should be excited about that. 
At the very least, I want to do that. I want to share a hard truth with a soft heart. And that's Jesus just weeping. And you see, it's not like he's just this cold judge of, you're going to hell, turn or burn. He said, yes, this is a hard truth. But even that picture that he gives, everybody apart from me, it breaks his heart. Jesus says, I long for everybody to know me. Do you understand how much every person that walks away from me, how much of that kills me? Like, I want all to know me. I mean, the scripture says mercy triumphs judgment. He is a judge, but nothing in him wants to do that. He wants to offer you mercy. He wants to wrap his arms around you. And then when we see, why does that not happen? What does Jesus say? But you were not willing. People don't just go to hell because they're dirty sinners, that they deserve hell. People go to hell because they reject Jesus. They're not willing to receive his mercy and his forgiveness. And this is, in some ways, you know, one of the only ways I can wrap my head around hell. I mean, isn't that hard for you to think about? I mean, people being tortured for all in eternity, and you try to wrestle with that idea. But how and why do people end up there? And I've heard it said this way, and I'll never forget it. Hell is just God honoring your decision to reject him. Isn't that what it said? I want to be in relationship with you, but you're not willing. C.S. Lewis has famously kind of painted hell as the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Like, you get that picture? Like, we think, you know, people are burning in hell when Jesus slams the door shut and like, yeah, let them burn. The idea is... They're in there because they chose to reject God and didn't want to receive his mercy. The gates of hell were locked from the inside. And that's a little bit simplistic, but you see the truth of that in this passage. I longed Jerusalem to give you mercy, but you were not willing. If you're going to be bold for Christ... Don't you dare do that without being broken for Christ. I want you to be tough in your resolve. Don't let go of truth. Don't stop and quit on the ministry. Don't get distracted from what God has for you. But as you're walking that road of ministry, you better do that with a tender, broken heart. I just want to uphold that. I want you to see Jesus. And then we get mad at Jesus because he's unfair. How could he dare send someone? And God, oh my gosh. There's one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 19, says, talks about this. We walk away from God, do everything he shouldn't, our life's a mess, and then we're mad at God. What? Then tell me you don't do that. You walk away from God, you live your life, and all the ways he tells you not to, and you're like, God, why'd you do this to me? If I'm God, I'm like, I swear I would smack y'all. <laughs> yeah, we do that. God longs for you. And I... It even fits so well as Jesus is longing for the Jews. It reminded me of that famous scene in Schindler's List. You think of that person, man, who is tough-minded but yet tender-hearted. This guy saved over 1,100 Jews out from under the Holocaust. I mean, imagine the resolve, the strength of character under all those threats to do that. But then you see what was underlying, what was driving him to do all this, and he just kind of bears his heart at the end. And I want you to see that. I want to show this clip because I want you to kind of wrestle with the emotion of Jesus pleading, 
desiring to save all. Watch this. One more person. I could have become one more person, and I didn't. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> that famous clip. And I love that. Is that your picture of Jesus? And is that your heart? Does your heart break for those that don't know him? You see what drives them? I mean, nobody in the Holocaust did more than Schindler. And it wasn't that I mean, the one thing I don't like about that clip is he felt like, man, I didn't do enough. There's nothing more Jesus could do. Jesus has done everything, but you see his heart for everybody that doesn't know him. I wish I could just save one more. Why would you not come to me? And the reason you find out is because they are not willing. That's kind of that quote at the end. You know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord until you acknowledge me as king, and as long as you keep thinking you're king of your own life, what's the result of that? He says, behold, your house is forsaken. Kind of that idea of forsaken, we don't use that word much. It's that idea of abandoned. It's empty. It's alone. What is the result? When you reject God in your life, when you don't receive his call to mercy, you're going to feel that. You're going to feel alone. I think some of you, I'm sure, sitting in here today, maybe you feel that with all the enemies, with all the Herods coming at you, with all the trials coming your way. Do you feel alone in that? Do you feel abandoned by God? The only reason, if you would feel that way, is because you haven't acknowledged him, that you haven't come to him. Because if we look at the tender heart of Christ, if you are apart from him, I want you to hear his heart and that offer. God, it says, doesn't long for any to perish, but for all to experience life. If you're feeling alone right now, the heart of God is he wants to wrap his wings around you. God wants to protect you, to provide for you. And that picture of that hen and its chicks. All it would take, and would you stop just living your life your own way and acknowledge him as king? Jesus is actually going to turn his attention away from the Jews at this point. You don't hear him. 
ministering to them anymore. He's going to focus on the disciples. But one of the crazy things I love is he always holds out hope. Until you see me, that offer still stands. That offer stands for you today. If you're feeling alone and abandoned in your life, it's not because God doesn't desire you. Some of you, the Herod in your life is your past. And that controls you, and you think it has this power over you, and it's keeping you from pursuing God. But I want you to know and hear God's love for you, his desire to wrap his arms around you. I love the way MLK puts it. The greatness of our God lies in the fact that he is both tough-minded and tender-hearted. He has the qualities of both austerity and gentleness. The Bible, always clear and stressing both attributes, expresses his tough-mindedness and his justice and wrath and his tender-heartedness and his love and grace. God has two outstretched arms, one strong enough to surround us with justice and one gentle enough to embrace us with his grace. He is tough-minded enough to transcend this world. He is tender-hearted enough to live in it, to seek you out in your dark places and to suffer with us. I love how MLK puts that. That is the God we serve. And I hope you see that, that he is lion and lamb, that you would not allow yourself to stop running your race out of fear, to be distracted by the Herods in your life. They're foxes. Tell them so. But as you run your race, know that you are embraced by the perfect love, the most tender love this world has to offer in Christ. I hope you have felt that. And if not, the offer stands. If you would just acknowledge him, he would wrap his arms, his wings around you. Will you pray with me? Father, I do worship you. I am grateful, God, for your tough-mindedness and your tender-heartedness, that you are lion and lamb. And God, I pray that we would be called into that. God, free us from our fears. Free us from the Herods in our life that we feel like are controlling us. God, help us to know that you are still sovereign, that you are in charge. God, that you are tough enough to get us through any trial. But God, would we be tender-hearted like you are? That we would be bold in our ministry for you, but we would be broken for those that don't know you. God, and for those that do feel alone, feel oppressed, that they don't know you, God, I pray that they would hear your heart spill out. God, your desire to love them, to save them, to wrap your arms around them, I pray the offer still stands that they wouldn't resist your love, that they would acknowledge you as king and surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.